0: For Alaska small business owners, the holiday gift buying season is often crucial to help them stay financially afloat through the rest of the winter. The ongoing disruptions to supply lines to the state and increased prices for materials means businesses may struggle to get the supplies they need to make the things Alaskans want to buy. So, will you be able to purchase those custom Alaska goods in December? outlook for small businesses during the busiest buying season of the year is our discussion today on Talk of Alaska.
1: Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station.
2: Elisagvik College, Alaska's only tribal college, is currently accepting applications for the Spring 2022 semester. Elisagvik offers certificate and degree programs in-person or distance education with small class sizes built around indigenous culture. Contact recruitment at elisagvik.edu to find out about free tuition waivers. This message brought to you by Elisagvik College, Alaska's only tribal college, building strong communities through education and training. Alaska USA has been on a journey with Alaskans since their first member account was opened in 1948. They'll be with you every step of the way, through the challenges of today and the hopes of tomorrow. AlaskaUSA.org. This message sponsored by Alaska USA.
1: The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters.
0: Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. Running a small business can be tough competing with the advertising power of big chains and online retailers, limited cash for inventory, tight profit margins, and finding reliable employees is at times daunting. Layer on a global pandemic, employee illness or attrition, problems with supply lines, and the resulting increase in costs can cause a business to shut down. So how are Alaska businesses faring, and how can local consumers help support them? Here to help answer those questions is John Bittner, the executive director of the Alaska Small Business Development Center. Hello, John.
3: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. Also on the line is Jonathan White, the owner of Steam.Coffee in Anchorage. Hi, Jonathan.
3: Hello. Thanks for having me as well.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for being on. Later in the program, we'll be joined by Camille Adanaka and Camille is the owner of a toque-based online fashion business. You can also join us. Are you a small business owner working to stock up for holiday sales? Have you had challenges getting supplies or had sticker shock at the price of those supplies? Are you someone who wants to support local small businesses and you're looking for guidance about the best way to do that? You can give us a call statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's one 800 478 if you're in acreage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422, and you can email questions or comments to talk at alaskapublic.org. So, John, we'll dive into uh, some individual areas in a minute, but you've got some early results from your annual small business survey. What have Alaska business owners said about how they're doing right now, nearly two years into the pandemic? Well, there's some good news and
4: and there's some bad news. The good news is we're definitely seeing uh, a recovery. There's definitely a lot more of the businesses we surveyed said that they were doing better this year than last year. Uh, their, their outlook was much more positive. Their revenues were up significantly uh, in a lot of cases. So that's that's the, the, the good part of all this, is that we do seem to be in an economic recovery, and businesses are trying to get back to where they were prior to 2020. We are, unfortunately, also seeing some drags and some barriers on that recovery. Um, workforce is a big one, Um Cost of goods is going up, and that's causing problems. Shipping issues are a thing. And so all of these are sort of limiting their ability to do business and recover. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, right? I mean, we're trying to catch this economic wave, but there's a lot of uh, headwinds against us in some cases.
0: Well, um, we know that there are shortages in some areas of supplies, and and we'll discuss that in a few minutes. But as you mentioned, uh, workforce is a big problem right now. What... What are the challenges? What, um, how bad is it for some businesses in trying to find employees?
4: Yeah, this is actually a a, a really interesting problem. Uh, Alaska's always had workforce issues. You know, we're not a big state. We've only got seven hundred thousand people. Uh, you know, somewhere around less than half of them are in the workforce uh, regularly, and so businesses have. This has been sort of a theme that was has been running through mm-hmm. our our survey for a while. But with the recovery happening and with all these people across the nation, you know, all these businesses trying to get people back to work, we're in a real um, difficult situation where everyone's fighting or competing with each other to try and get people back into these jobs. Um, we're seeing a lot of people leave the state, honestly. Uh, we're seeing people in our, in our workforce heading down south for really lucrative um, offers. Wages have gone up higher than they have in the last, I'd say, 20, 30 years uh, nationwide. On top of that, we have a uh, infrastructure bill that was just passed. Uh, and as those jobs are starting to ramp up, this problem is going to sort of get exponentially larger. And what that means is businesses aren't able to staff up. They aren't able to do as much business as normal, so they aren't able to sort of recover. Even if they, even if the economy is recovering, it's kind of doing it without them, unfortunately, in a lot of cases.
0: Yikes, that's kind of gloomy.
4: Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's it's – it's, it is and it isn't, right? I mean, the, the problem is caused by sort of the economic engine revving back up, right? So we just have to figure out how to keep people in these jobs here in Alaska, how to get them back to work, what we have to offer. In some cases, it's financial, sure, but in a lot of other cases, it's going to be realizing that there's a new normal for work. Like, is, is remote work more of an option now? Is, are there other benefits you can offer, things that you can do to make the work environment more attractive, and I think just as a state, we have to recognize that we were kind of behind the eight ball to begin with. And now we really you know, have to figure this out in the short term if we want to keep going forward.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Talk of Alaska. And today we're discussing how small businesses in our state are faring in the lead up to the busiest time of the year for small businesses and holiday shopping. On the line with us is John Bittner, the Executive Director of the Alaska Small Business Development Center, and also Jonathan White is on the line with us. Jonathan is the owner of steam.coffee in Anchorage. You can join our conversation if you're a small business owner or you're a consumer wanting to help support small businesses, give us a call statewide at 1-800-478-8255, 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. Five five zero eight four two two. You can also email talk at alaskapublic dot org. So, Jonathan White, I want to turn to you now. Has Steam dot your business been affected by staffing shortages?
3: My staffing shortages, sure. <clears throat> yeah, um, you know, as John said, there's just this huge disruption in the workforce, uh, and in particularly in, in retail environments like mine were just obliterated, and, and, in, and in some ways it provided, you know, that the, the, the when the pandemic first started and restaurants and bars and coffee shops and whatnot were shut down, you know, my my theory is that it gave a lot of folks who were in the retail industry the time um, to look uh, elsewhere for a job. You know, you might find someone who was a server a long time who, who would say to themselves, you know, I... One day I'm going to go get my real estate license or or I'm going to go do X, Y, Z and, and keep moving forward in my life. And that big break that we had provided that um, that opportunity, you know, so that sort of the top end of it, I think, of the hospitality industry sort of left and, and looked for other opportunities. And so what we're seeing, especially, you know, in, in coffee retail, is uh, emerging um, folks that are just getting to the workforce, just out of high school, still in high school, looking for a job. And I think, you know, from a cultural standpoint, coffee shops have always had that, and that's always been an important part of of growing a business is, you know, first-time employees, giving them the opportunity to get into the workforce. But what, what we've seen in the last six to eight months is that's really the only applicant we're seeing at this point is very young, not a lot of experience, and that comes with its challenges uh, comes with its challenges also.
0: Oh, absolutely. When you have to train and ramp up, that's expensive and uh, sure. causes uh, increased costs for your business. How many people do you have working at your locations, and um, uh, how many do you want to have working there? and, and are you fully staffed?
3: Well, those are good questions. Um, we are not fully staffed. Turnover is also very high. Um, I think that you know the, the the younger folks that come to the workforce have sort of different expectations about what commitment might mean. Um, especially you know the as the generations as I get older, um, you know as our business ages, and th- that brings some challenges. And and the amount of folks that we have really depends on the time of year and. And, you know, this time of year can be particularly tough because if you're a college student, you know, your finals are coming up and getting ready to go on a vacation. And so maybe you're not wanting to work more than five or, you know, 10 hours a week sort of thing. Um, and in our retail environment right now, it's, it's almost all part-time employees that are, you know, coming, like I said, anywhere from five to 35 hours a week, depending on their schedule, their ability, their interest in working. So that, that adds a whole different layer of challenges for a small business in scheduling, like you said, with training, with ramping up, and with quality. You know, we built our business on on high quality, an approach to excellence, and it's it's just made that much more challenging when you've got high turnover and and um, always having to train and sort of capitulate on the on the the level of quality you're 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 reaching for.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see where that would be problematic. Where do most of your coffee bean supplies come from, and are you facing challenges with delivery right now?
3: So, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks don't realize that coffee is one of the highest-traded commodities on the globe and a um, very important crop in a great number of countries around the world. We, we buy from all the growing regions, most coffee companies do, so, Central America, South America, Africa, the Indonesian archipelago, you know, wherever great coffee is found, we will source it from there. And so the hidden cost of running a coffee company is the commodity price. And for years, you know, any, any, good, any good business tried to ride the waves of that, that commodity. And while we went through a pretty nice period um, the last several years of, of low but not too low of commodity pricing, you know, the green coffee pricing has doubled in the last three months and very complex, you know, shipping, expediting crop ages, that, that sort of thing influence um, that price. Brazil is, is the driver. They're the largest exporter of Arabica on the, on the planet. And so as their crops go, the rest of the world goes. And so that's been a sort of hidden challenge that a lot of folks don't see. The, 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 on the other side of the coin, though, I think there's been some decent reporting lately that Alaska really hasn't experienced the shipping delays that other folks, other states have because we have sort of a closed system You know, coming up uh, from Tacoma. Once the co- green coffee that we order arrives from origin, um, it's not a problem getting it up here at all, five to seven days getting it to the states has been very challenging. And there's been all sorts of, of, of data in the world about major ports, Cartagena, um, you know, major, ma- major ports in Brazil being clogged with green coffee because this, this supply chain was so fundamentally disrupted, it's going to take another year maybe to get it back to you know, what might look normal again.
0: And can supplies like that sit I know some goods can sit in containers you know as we know there's cargo vessels idling off the coast of California and some of those goods dried goods and things can sit for long periods of time but what about green coffee beans?
3: Oh uh, green, green coffee is perishable it needs to be kept at a you know a certain temperature and humidity and that's um, you know that's affected the commodity price also a lot of coffee, potentially was wasted, uh, last summer, last spring and summer, when so many users were shut down around the, around the world, coffee shops, grocery stores, whatever restaurants that use coffee. So supply, uh, was there, the demand was not, and a lot of coffee, uh, you know, was sold fairly cheap. And now that replacement coffee is more expensive and, um, you know the commodities market is driven by derivative traders anymore computers not not people with pencils behind their ear you know doing the math every day, so it's hard to keep your keep your finger on it, but um, yeah that coffee has to keep moving has to keep keep moving to its destination to remain fresh and viable
0: mm-hmm John Bittner, last year there was a lot of federal relief funding for businesses, but not all who were suffering business loss qualified for funding through the Payroll Protection Program or the CARES Act funds. Why couldn't some businesses meet those requirements? Well, it's
4: interesting. The the way that the COVID pandemic impacted our economy, it wasn't even across all industries or across all geographies even. Even within Anchorage, you know, our largest city, if you go down to the zip code level, uh, the distribution of funding was was not sort of equal to the number of businesses you found in each of those locations. What's really fascinating, not unfortunately in, in a really good way, but what we're seeing is at this point in time, every organization that had anything to do with businesses was saying the same thing, promoting the same programs, sending out the same message to everyone they could. And even in the face of that, It appears that there was a solid uh, somewhere between seven and ten percent of business owners who just didn't get the message and that's really kind of concerning especially you know as we look forward to all right what happens if there's another problem another economic downturn and we need to deploy a lot of capital what can we all do collectively to try and get the message out to those folks that missed it because what we're hearing is even with this unprecedented level of sort of outreach we just there were some people who just didn't know what was available didn't know how to apply for it didn't know if it you know if it if they were eligible or not and that's a real problem so i don't know what the answer to that is yet i think we have to wait for a, a sort of a retrospective somebody somebody to take all the data sets together and figure that out but it was a thing for sure
0: that is really interesting and dismaying that almost 10% of businesses just didn't even know they could get in this program. What can you tell us about how many of them ended up closing down?
4: Yeah, unfortunately, that data is a little hard to parse out. Um, it, we don't have a good data set to tell us how many closed. Here's here's what I can tell you. At the beginning of the pandemic, before you know, all the major relief bills, before all the funding op- you know, opportunities and programs for businesses came out, there were a lot of economists that predicted anywhere between 20 and 30 percent of businesses would fail. And So I can tell you definitively that did not happen. And that is almost entirely due to the massive amount of federal dollars that were deployed in every state of the nation. They did a really good job with the timing and, and everything that they had getting that money out there and keeping the vast majority of businesses afloat. Did we lose some? Unfortunately, yes. Um, <clears throat> how many that is, it's definitely nowhere near as many as we thought. Uh, I think that what we, what we did see is certain industries were hit particularly hard. Tourism, I mean, it's tough to, to go an entire season without uh, any sort of uh, activity. And then the next year, it was better for individual travelers, but no, really not many cruise passengers again. That's hard to recover from. Uh, so I suspect we saw some losses there. I suspect we saw some losses in, in restaurants and retail. But by and large, I think we were able to hold the line. The trick is going to be we need to keep that momentum going through this year or this coming year because we don't have any more of those federal dollars really to deploy. And so now they have to catch that economic recovery, or I think we're going to see some some business closures uh, in the next 12 months.
0: Jonathan White. Were you able to get some assistance through either PPP or CARES Act? Did did you uh, – were oh, you able to help yeah, yourself both. in that way?
3: Both, absolutely. And and uh, I agree with you, and uh, that's shocking that, you know, given the, the amount of activity that, you know, just the the amount of, you know, education and information that was coming out of places like John's organization and the state government and the city government – it is shocking that there were still small businesses that either didn't or couldn't uh, receive those funds, because John's absolutely right. It was not only essential, but, um, you know, it was the life raft that a lot of small businesses needed to not only make it through that, um, you know, that initial time of closures and restrictions and mandates and whatnot, but... Then going forward, um, and, and and even businesses like mine, we were able to hold on to as much as possible, and it helped us. Um, you know, last December when we had uh, you know some some business closures, and then even this summer and into this fall when we had you know the 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 increase at the hospitals and the Delta variant um, surge, and and John, who's just full of good news this morning, <laughs> <just> <laughs> full of, he's it's just never been an easier time to run a small business, right? Um, You know, you read the paper, you read the the news now and and you see the reporting on, you know, this potentially new variant and and you wonder what the cycle will be like going forward um, and 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 how, you know, future flare ups of the virus and the lack of federal, state or municipal backstop in funding will affect uh, even businesses that are that are doing better now than they were before the pandemic, the, the lack of that safety net is pretty troubling because the the, the the key isn't so much whether you're for mandates or against mandates or you think they work or you don't. It's, it's actually I've always felt sort of irrelevant. Customers choose what's best for them. And when you see like what happened to us this this fall in this city with the hospitals, you know, crying for help and and cases surging and, and the death rate going up, <clears throat> customers made up their mind that it wasn't the right time to go out into the market, buy coffee, buy a hamburger, buy a pizza. And I think across the board, small businesses like mine that I talked to other owners and managers and whatnot, we all saw a, a significant reduction in revenue in September and October, even in the early, early November. Not because there were government mandates, not because we were told we couldn't open or we had to, you know, have masks as a requirement. Customers made up their mind. And and when customers make up their mind and they stay home, there's, there's not a lot of, um, you know, there's not, not a lot that you can look to except for your, yourself, of how you can make the adjustments in your business to, to survive.
0: Mm-hmm. is the number statewide. If you'd like to join our conversation today about Alaska small businesses, how they're faring as we lead into the holiday buying season, and are fully aware of supply line challenges and disruptions and also the emergence of a new COVID variant that could throw more wrenches into the works for supply lines going forward. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. 550-8422, you can email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. We're on with John Bittner, the Executive Director of the Alaska Small Business Development Center, and Jonathan White is the owner of Steam.Coffee. At 10.30, we're going to say goodbye to Jonathan and bring on Camille Adanaka, who is the owner of Apre Alaska, a fashion business in Tok. So stay with us for that. But Jonathan, while you're still here, you're talking about how uh, customers make up their own minds about whether they want to, they feel comfortable actually going into a, a business or not. How does SteamDot, I imagine that you have some holiday-themed gift boxes or that sort of thing, uh, how are your online sales, and do you expect that that will be one of the kind of saving graces going forward?
3: Yeah, it's a good point. You know, when we saw our retail revenues plummet, um, th- there was some, you know, a rainbow in that wholesale, you know, our, our wholesale business is sort of what drives the bus, uh, did have, see an increase, especially online. Folks were home. They still wanted, needed coffee. Uh, you know, the grocery stores that we supply were seeing increases as well. We have a, a you know, flourishing relationship with Costco. They were very, very busy still. Um, you know, people still had to supply their homes and, and to some extent, whatever businesses were still open. And that, that, to me, is, as I look back, one of the bright spots for our business um was the online portion? We we certainly dedicated time and energy to it, but it was it was a smaller component of our you know of our of our income. And now it's a much larger part because just like the folks who left the industry to pursue things uh, you know outside of the retail industry, it gave us as a business the time, um, and we were sort of forced in a way. But it gave us the time to dedicate real resources and real energy toward a more robust online presence, not just in town, but across the country. You know, we're seeing orders now from, you know, all over the country, even sometimes, uh, you know, out of the country. And we also took that opportunity to expand into a brand new uh, area that we'd always wanted to, but never had the time or resources or energy, and that's our canned cold brew. We we invested quite a bit of, of, of money into a into a canning apparatus and Bright tanks, and now we're a you know we're a legitimate the only actually permitted uh, cold brew canning facility um, in Alaska, and so there are there were some opportunities. I think that's the, the key to any strong business is finding opportunity out of those those types of challenges that we all faced.
0: And as you were talking about earlier, the you know getting the supplies from Tacoma to Alaska isn't a big deal, but getting supplies from Brazil and Africa and other places is the pinch point are you getting what you need in time for the holiday ramp up so that these online orders that you're seeing an increase in both in state and out of state can be filled to some respects
3: no um you know from a contract standpoint we we buy our coffee you know in a myriad of ways and sometimes you buy a contract that's a year or more and sometimes it's short and sometimes you you buy coffee spot just what's available at a warehouse uh, in the lower 48. But just this morning, you know, was shared a, on an email with our our chief roaster in buyer that a coffee we've been waiting for since July and was supposed to arrive this week was delayed again and now is not supposed to come in for another two weeks. Um, and so, yeah, you just have to go without that coffee for a little while until you can get your hands on it. So it's been challenging but not to the point where it's changed the way we approach the greens that we buy, how we buy them, who we buy them from um, yet. But with the combination of the commodity prices skyrocketing, um, you know, the, the logistics pinches that everyone's seeing, uh, I, I, I envision that we are going to have to make some fundamental changes in the next six to 12 months and how we approach our core, you know, our core without green coffee and without quality green coffee, we don't really have much of a business.
0: And how has the the increase, and in, as you said, uh, even more expected increases in the future for your raw materials, the green beans that you need, how is that affecting what I know is for small businesses already a pretty tight profit margin? I ran a small business years ago and You know, it's hard to get very cashy when you're a small operator. So are you having to significantly increase your price per cup to your customers in order to cover these costs, or how are you absorbing that?
3: We haven't yet. Um, I hope any Steam.com fan that's listening (laughs) hears that we haven't raised our retail prices in, in, in over four years, four and a half years. It's unfortunately just you know, the, the, it's just the, the way of life, especially, you're right, running a small business. The, the combination of pricing and always keeping downward pressure on cost of goods is the key, right? That's the magic elixir of any small business. When you can't, uh, when the, the, the downward pressure on, on your costs push, pushes back, um, yeah, you either lose money, you, you, you know, try, to, try your best to hold on, uh, or you have to look at raising prices, and uh, it's not just steamed out. It's likely businesses all across the city. It's always been an expensive place to do business up here. Shipping is, you know, adds a cost that lower 48 uh, businesses don't have. We've been able to, you know, figure out how to do that over the years. But it's not just been green coffee. It's it's all the other things that take to run a successful retail coffee front, which is, you know, paper cups. Which have been in, you know, one of the tightest choke points uh, for supplies. Paper goods just fell apart when this um, when this all happened. So getting custom cups, even just getting you know random blank cups, has been very challenging. Plastic goods like lids and straws and stir sticks and um, that the, the sort of non-essential. You need a cup, obviously, to to, to sell coffee. Um, but the other the other logistical parts of running the retail business have all been coming up, have all been challenging. Not just green coffee, mm-hmm. whether it's a combination of the supply chain, the logistics, you know, commodity pricing on on paper and plastic, um, but also just now sort of this inflation that we're seeing. Things are just getting more expensive,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, yeah, it's very very challenging.
0: Before we take a quick break here, uh, John Bittner, I want to get back to you. How would you rate the success of the relief programs and the way the federal government handled these efforts at keeping businesses solvent, both in terms of the amount of paperwork required, especially for small operators, and also in terms of the amount given and how it was deployed?
4: So there, I know there's a, a, a lot of folks may not uh, agree with me on this, but I, I actually think that the federal, state, and local governments did an unbelievably amazing job with all of this. Um, it wasn't perfect, and especially when it came to businesses in Alaska, we have a lot of sort of idiosyncrasies with our industries that you know they just didn't factor in in DC, and that's understandable. We only have three delegates; it's it's tough to build the you know one size fits all for everyone. But by and large, it was the largest federal relief funding push that the nation's ever seen, and they deployed it in dozens of new programs across the nation. And if you look at how the money was deployed in Alaska. They did a pretty darn good job of getting it to every corner of the state, which is not easy to do in the best of times. And this was definitely not that. They really tried to make changes to the programs when they heard that there were issues. Uh, Our federal delegation did a phenomenal job of keeping them up to date on, on what the problems were. I really think that, you know, could it have been done better? Sure. But... You know the situation was unprecedented and extremely fluid, and I think they did a really good job with with the situation they had.
0: All right. Well, thanks for that. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Camille Aranaka, who is the owner of Apre Alaska, a fashion business operating out of Tok, Alaska, as talk of Alaska continues statewide.
1: Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station.
2: If you have health insurance through Medicare, now's the time to make changes to your Part D prescription drug plan. Between now and December 7th, you can enroll in, change, or drop your prescription drug plan. Check your plan to see if you need to adjust your insurance coverage. Need help deciding which one is best for you? Call Alaska's Medicare Information Office at 907 269-3680 or toll-free 800-478-6065. This message sponsored by DHSS,
0: Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. Today we're discussing the lead up to the busy holiday buying season and how Alaska small businesses are faring in light of supply line disruptions and constraints. We were speaking with Jonathan White, the owner of Steam.Coffee, in the first half of the show, and John Bittner is with us still throughout this hour. He is the executive director of the Alaska Small Business Development Center. And joining us now is Camille Adenica. Camille, please forgive me for really blowing the pronunciation of your name earlier. Camille Adenica is the owner of Apre Alaska, a fashion business outside or located in Tok. Hello, Camille.
5: Good morning, Lori. Good morning, John. How
0: are you both doing? Well, I'm doing fine, and uh, I'm so happy that you could join us. And again, my apologies for for um, destroying the pronunciation of your last name. <laughs> I wanted to let our listeners know that if you have questions about Camille's business or about small businesses in your community and how you can help them out, you can join our conversation. We've got our our state expert on the line with us, John Bittner, and he can let you know how you can help these businesses across the state. Survive the holidays and farewell into the next year. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide. If you'd like to join our conversation, 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550 8422 You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. So Camille, uh, We were talking before the break about the difficulty in being a small business up against huge online retailers. I feel like this must be even harder for businesses selling fashion. Your clothing business is totally online. How do you reach potential customers and compete with the crush of advertising from big stores?
5: You know, um, advertising and marketing really is the biggest um, thing that I have to compete against. You know, there are so many um, fast fashion lines that are popping up across the internet um, or drop shipping brands. Um, And so one of the things that I'm learning being almost one year um, in business online is really uh, using every dollar that I have to reinvest, not just into um, my clothing, but also in marketing, um, particularly on Facebook and um, on Instagram.
0: Tell us how you got started and what convinced you that you could make this work from Toke?
5: Um, Really, Toke uh, was the deciding factor. I moved uh, here three years ago with my husband. Um, He's originally from here uh, to work in another uh, family small business. And I said, this is going to be the time that I really did something that I was passionate about. I grew up in New York, so I spent a lot of time working in Soho um, and uh, fashion um, and working in department stores has always um, just been a dream of mine. And when Nordstrom closed, I realized, man, there's nowhere for me to shop, (laughs) Um, unless for me at least going into the grocery store. And I just said, you know what, I'm gonna do it. Um, I looked at some retail spaces and had conversations and being new to the business world, um, I was thankful to have my um, dad to really lean on, who is a business owner himself, and he really encouraged me to just look to doing um, the boutique model on the on or in the online space, um, because you know Tok is a, a small community, um, so there weren't too many people. I tried um, bazaars and things like that, but there weren't too many people who were really um, interested in the type of products that I was selling or clothing that I was selling. Um, but it's been an experiment, um, and it's been one that has many successes um, and a few challenges, but that's part of being a business owner.
0: Absolutely. John, does Alaska have a higher percentage of small businesses than other states?
4: Yeah, I, I think we do. I, I think based on the federal definition of what a small business is, Alaska has about 992 to 99.4% of all of its businesses are considered small. So we really do have a higher percentage than I think most other states in general.
0: And And Camille, where do you get your supplies? And are you seeing restrictions in the amount that you can get, the timeliness of deliveries and and uh, what about pricing?
5: Yeah, so um, when I first started the business, I was doing um, a purely drop shipping model. And some people, you know, think of drop shipping as being a little sticky. Um, But what was really nice about doing this all online, um, with doing research, is I was able to find um, producers and actually do virtual tours of their factories, um, and then see what those um, products would look like online without having to make that huge investment. Um, But at the kind of you know, I would say for me this year, around um, July, I started to realize that was getting harder. Um, with quality control, um, and another one was taking a really long time to receive those products. Um, And so what I switched to is um, where many other boutiques shop. uh, It's called Fashion Go, um, and they have a fashion district that you can visit in um, California, and Fashion Go really, um, the last two years, have shifted their model to really accommodate for businesses doing a lot of their buying um, online as well. And so with that, I'm able to you know, receive the products that I'm ordering within two to three weeks, but that's also because I'm um, kind of doing the due diligence to make sure that I'm buying from um, U.S. vendors and makers, um, and so all of that, those products are coming in a little bit more quickly.
0: And walk us through what what you're offering. Are you designing clothing and then looking for people who can make your designs? Or are you looking for designs that you think would appeal to your clientele that you're building online? How, do, how does this work?
5: Yeah, so um, it's funny that you say that because my... <laughs> original endeavor was to make the designs myself, which I still have my sketchbook. Um, but that was just a large investment that I had, and so um, the process right now is I'm just looking for um, quality, so I know what I'm looking for in terms of, you know, what's a 550 fill when it comes to the outerwear that I'm sewing. Um, that one, that part of the business is really a passion project, especially living in Tote. <laughs> the temperature drops down to, you know, below 60, and we're in our coats so, um, for a long part of the year, and so with that piece of the business, I'm just working with our small batch producers and i'm able to work with them online and say okay these are some some of my sketches while i can't afford the services where they will produce it for me at the moment then we work together on what is their available line and how does that line fit into my aesthetic Um, And then this year, I just uh, have some new arrivals coming in, and that's more of a more affordable, everyday, casual style line. Um, And so that's purely just me thinking about what's my target audience and providing um, clothing that I think uh, they would enjoy.
0: And are you seeing an uptick in demand for the holidays, and will you be able to fill those orders?
5: (laughs) Well, I definitely have. I have um, participated in a virtual Um, Christmas market, uh, thanks to local supply. And so that has been really helpful. So I've been able to sell out on two of um, my outerwear uh, coats in part of my collection. And I'm really hopeful for this year. Um, I think that because a lot of people are home, um, I'm starting to see I can see my demographics because I do have a Shopify store. So I can see kind of the demographics of people logging in. And I'm also starting to notice that I have a lot of older um, customers who are shopping in the store, whether that's for them or for someone else. Um, And so I think, you know, it's going to be a continual, you know, challenge and growing and finding what really works. Um, I think in the online space, it's really creating that content, content is king, and I'm competing with a lot of different people in a lot of different spaces for attention. Um, But from what I see so far, I think it's going to be a great holiday season.
0: All right. Well, that's good news. Glad to hear that. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide if you'd like to join our conversation today about supporting Alaska small businesses during the holidays. 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. And of course, supporting small businesses actually means buying goods from them so they can stay in business. John, tell us about the Buy Alaska website. What's offered there?
4: Sure. Uh, So the Buy Alaska program is something that the SBDC uh, created in partnership with, I think, about 40 other organizations, uh, both here in Alaska and and uh, nationally. And basically, it's our attempt to really sort of build on what you were talking about, which is the importance of supporting our local businesses. When you spend a dollar in a local business, 63% of it stays in the community and circulates um, uh, over time, whereas if you spend your money on businesses outside through, say, Amazon, for example, you really only get about 20% uh, of uh, those dollars in, in the community. So it's really important for us to to really try and support local businesses by showing people the opportunities, telling them what's available, helping to promote these businesses and, and what they're doing Um, and I think that this is a really good way to do that there's a business directory a holiday shopping guide uh, discounts for businesses that participate it's free for small businesses Uh, you can join doesn't cost anything and you get a lot of benefit from it we think and we also support local governments and state government efforts to support local uh, purchases in their communities so there's a lot of different ways that we can partner with folks
0: Yeah, it's a a great site listing a lot of Alaska businesses. We can link to that on the Talk of Alaska post on uh, at alaskapublic.org today so folks can go there and and connect with that Buy Alaska site. And John, you mentioned some of, there's a, a kind of a one sheet on the site about the impacts of buying local in Alaska. You mentioned some of those statistics about how much money stays in the state if you buy locally. And there's also an interesting uh, bit of information on there about if, what if every Alaskan household spent $1,000 at local businesses instead of chain businesses. Talk a little bit about the difference in what happens to the local economy in, in that setting.
3: Sure.
4: So, you know, small businesses are, are a major employer across the state. As we mentioned, 99% of them are, are small businesses in the state are small. And if we spend, actually, it's even just $20 a week at local businesses, uh, it would create, you know, almost 6,000 jobs, over $200 million in wages, $300 million in added value. It's a really good way to, for not a lot of extra money, really, you know rev the economic engine in your local communities and I think what what a lot of people like about these types of programs is when you think about the communities you live in there's a lot of things you like about them but there's also usually some small businesses that are sort of quintessentially you know Anchorage businesses or they they represent Juno or Toke or things like that um, and just making sure that we support them and keep them in the community and keep them viable I think is really important to the fabric of our communities.
0: and it's also jobs local jobs
4: absolutely absolutely very the the a large portion of new job creation comes from small businesses
0: all right well thanks for that we're going to take a very short break and when we come back we'll continue our conversation with Camille Adenica and John Bittner as we talk about small business in Alaska in the lead up to the holidays
1: Today's program is underwritten in part by
0: ConocoPhillips, investing in oil exploration and production and working to create economic opportunities for Alaskans. ConocoPhillips, unlocking Alaska's energy resources.
2: Opioids are sometimes prescribed for pain. Common opioids include hydrocodone, oxycodone, morphine, fentanyl, and codeine. Never share your opioids with family or friends. It may cause addiction, trouble with the law, overdose, and death. Always securely store opioids away from children and others. And be sure to get rid of opioids as soon as you're done using them. Email projecthope at alaska.gov to learn how to safely dispose of opioids. This message sponsored by the State of Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. Alaska USA has been on a journey with Alaskans since their first member account was opened in 1948. They'll be with you every step of the way through the challenges of today and the hopes of tomorrow. alaskausa.org this message sponsored by Alaska USA.
0: Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. You can join our conversation at 1-800-478-8255 if you'd like to talk about your ideas for supporting local Alaska businesses during the holidays or if you're a small business owner and You're having some challenges you'd like to discuss with John Bittner, the executive director of the Alaska Small Business Development Center, who's on the line with us. And also with us in this last half hour is Camille Adenica. Camille is the owner of Apre Alaska, an online fashion business based in Toke. Camille, would you like to open a physical location, maybe not in Tok, but somewhere in Alaska in the future, or do you just plan to stay online? You talked a little bit about looking at retail spaces when you first came on with us, but what are you thinking about for the future?
5: For the future, I would really love to operate both on the online space, um, and for me, just because of my background um, in fashion. I, you know, I think a brick and mortar store is always kind of the pivotal thing that you strive for um, and making sure that customers have that experience um, in store that you can't really create um, online, at least not yet. Um, and I think for my husband and I, we're really invested in tokes Um, And I I would love to open up that first physical space here. Um, It's a town that's growing, um, a town that's really trying to revitalize itself, and it'd be wonderful um, to be able to, you know, create that sort of legacy.
0: Do you envision a time when you may be able to hire people in Alaska to, to make the clothes that you are selling?
5: That would be um, lovely. I actually uh, <laughs> have some plans with some local makers here um, for gloves and things like that um, that I'm still trying to learn myself um, and learn how to, you know, make those sketches so they're all perfect. I think that's what's really nice um, about being able to have an online store is that not only are you, you know, buying for your clients and customers, but there's so much um, that you're able to learn in that process. Um, and being able to you know, meet manufacturers and other producers and learn along the way and being able to bring back those global skills um, to the people you know, in our community to grow uh, my online store.
0: Absolutely. John, what can you tell us about businesses in Alaska that source all of their materials in the state? How, how is this sector growing and are they doing better during this time of outside supply concerns?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you heard a little bit of some of the issues with that from Jonathan, and there are certain items that are very difficult to secure right now. I mean, we're hearing from a lot of uh, businesses, uh, not just in the retail sector, but also, you know, in the uh, construction sector and things like that, if they need to get new equipment or they need to repair existing equipment, a lot of times it's taking um, significantly longer to get that delivered than it normally would. Um I think that they're finding ways to solve it and actually there's a really interesting program that was just announced recently, uh, a partnership between the uh, Ted Stevens International Airport and AEDC and I believe the Port of Alaska to try and uh, unlock some of that supply chain deadlock um, by uh, sort of doing an intermodal transportation partnership there between the uh, airline shipping and the marine shipping down at Tacoma. So I'm hopeful that that's, uh, you know, between that and, you know, sort of improvements in the international supply chains, we should see an easing there. But it has been a problem.
0: Hmm. Camille, are there things that you are really highlighting in the holiday time for your clients and customers and things that uh, you would want people to know about?
5: Um, I think it's really important that everyone uh, plan early for their holiday shopping. Um, especially at, you know, when you own a business or as a small business, everything that happens is, uh, you know, kind of falls on you. And so when you aren't able to get, you know, your supplies in or, you know, when there are some hiccups along the way, um, really that can, you know, even though it's beyond your control, um, it's really your name and your store on the line. And so, just educating, you know, customers, and that's what I do um, through my Instagram page is just kind of really telling them what's happening when it comes to shipping, um, and what's happening um, on that scale. And so that they're understanding that, you know, we're not just saying buy early because we just want to make those sales, but we're saying buy early because we want to make sure that. the the money that they're spending um, and that they're holiday shopping, that that's all delivered to them um, on time for the holiday season.
0: So we had a caller that didn't want to go on air but had a good question about the demographics of people that are shopping online and are they changing um, as more and more businesses offer uh, sometimes exclusive online buying or deals are you seeing a change in the demographics now Camille I know you haven't been in business f- for very long so this might be a question that's better suited for John but um, Camille are you seeing any change you'd mentioned that some of your clientele is older are you seeing changes just in the time you've been in business
5: Definitely. I can say that I have tweaked my marketing strategy um, because I can see all of the analytics that are coming back to me. And so I can see, you know, how old those customers are, um, what part of Alaska that they're clicking on either my Instagram handle or um, clicking onto my website from. And so that's really kind of been able to help me make better decisions in terms of marketing. Um, And I can just say, you know, at first when I started, I thought that this would just be a brand um, for people between, you know, 19 and 25. And as I refined my taste and did more of that research um, and looking into what Alaskans really wanted in terms of their style and clothing, um, that scale kind of shifted more to, you know, uh, 30 to 30, um, 35 being just my real target. And so, yeah, I don't have, you know, that much skin in the game to – answer that question adequately, um, but I do think um, it surprised me to see the number um, of older customers clicking in from my links.
0: All right. And John, what, what's known um, from the Small Business Center's perspective about the demographics of who's shopping online and how that's changing?
4: Absolutely. So this is a really fascinating question, and we, we noticed this uh, fairly early on in 2020. The number of, you know, as, as sort of the pandemic was hitting its, its peak, Across almost every demographic, there was a huge upswing in online shopping, online purchasing, things along those lines. But what was really fascinating was normally it's, you know, it skews more towards the younger generations, the millennials, the Gen Zs and, and, and younger. But what we actually saw was the higher risk demographics, the you know, 50 and above, were actually disproportionately increasing their online shopping uh, due to COVID. And so it was a really interesting transition. And I think that as they get more familiar with these types of, you know, digital transactions and things like that, that's going to persist for quite some time. So it is a fundamental shift in, in how I think especially older uh, Americans shop.
0: So it's kind of a word to the wise for small businesses that you really need to have a robust online presence to kind of survive into the future.
4: Absolutely. and And actually, one of the interesting sort of upsides of this whole situation is that this did force a large number of businesses to really either create or improve their digital footprint, not just through marketing and websites, but online sales, using um, third-party programs and things like that. I, I really think that when the dust settles on all this, every business in Alaska is going to be much farther along on digital presence than they were before.
0: When you talk with national business support colleagues, what is the conversation around the outlook for the new year, especially in light of, you know, it's, I mean, I guess it's only been just a few days that that this new variant uh, of concern, Omicron, is in the conversation. But when you're talking with your national colleagues, what what are you hearing about what uh, post-January may look like for supplies?
4: Yeah if you before, you know, before the the sort of appearance of Omicron, I think it was broadly really positive. I mean, as we mentioned early on in the show, there are some drags, you know, in almost every state relating to workforce and shipping. But those are, you know, I think, shorter term problems that will sort of sort themselves out. And broadly, the economy across the entire nation is really recovering at at an amazing pace. Um, Now, I think that, in terms of Alaska in particular, we just have to figure out how to position ourselves to take advantage of that recovery, given our you know, added difficulties and those barriers. But with Omicron hitting the scene, we're already hearing, not here in Alaska, but down in the lower 48, that some conferences are getting canceled, some meetings are getting canceled, large-scale events uh, just in, ad- in advance. And we're seeing the impacts on the stock market, things along those lines. So, and I think Jonathan mentioned this, you know, the public perception of where we're at with COVID-19, in whatever variant we're in, is a real drag on businesses. If people start thinking that we're back in, you know, the 2020s in terms of where we're at with infection rates and things like that, then that's going to be something that's going to be very hard for businesses to overcome. We really have to figure out how to get a handle on our infection rates if we want to
3: recover.
0: And in our final minute here, the president earlier in the month announced a new action plan aimed at expanding the capacity of ports. There's $17 billion in port funding in the bipartisan infrastructure legislation. The administration also said it's going to award $243 million in new port and marine infrastructure grants by mid to later December. They, port officials can redirect leftover previous funds, but does this sound like it could clear backlogs in a timely fashion by mid December cuz does this sound realistic to you money is a great tool but still you have to have people and materials to hit those deadlines
4: That's my biggest concern absolutely i think that that the money is amazing and in particular i think Alaska's federal delegation deserves a lot of credit for for going out and supporting this bill it's going to be phenomenal for Alaska but my major concern is Every state in the nation is going to be having to hire up for these projects that are coming down the pipe, and we're going to have to compete with them to get people into our projects and to find the materials at the same time as everyone else. I don't know enough about sort of the logistical supply chain to really judge the impact, but I can tell you that it's going to be a little bit of a crunch, and we're going to have to figure out how to position ourselves to really succeed there against states that are much larger and have much deeper pockets for their projects.
0: All right, well, thank you so much to my guest today, John Bittner, the executive director of the Alaska Small Business Development Center. Earlier in the hour, we heard from Jonathan White, the owner of Steam.Coffee in Anchorage. And on the line with us still is Camille Adenica, the owner of Apre Alaska, an online fashion company based in Toke. Camille, good luck with the holiday season. Thanks for being on with us today, and thank you for listening. Thanks to our engineer, Tobin Shelby, and our producer, Adlin Baxter. On the phones today, Kavitha George, and I'm Lori Townsend. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.
1: of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.